0: Recruit your own team of special forces! Ten hut! G.I. Joe Special Forces trading cards are now ready for inspection!
1: 200 cards in all! The front of each one blazing with color and action! The back filled with top secret information! Start your own collection with your favorite G.I. Joe and Cobra characters! Or collect and trade them by categories like rank and file! Trolls, Original Joe team, battle gear, and even special missions. Enlist now! Be the very first one on your block to join the ranks of the premier edition of the G.I. Joe Special Forces Trading Card! They blow ordinary trading cards away! G.I.
0: Joe, a real American hero!
1: dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power
0: of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer,
1: analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick.
0: I can tell you something about this place. The boys around here call it the Random Banter, a paradise, only they say nobody has ever come back to prove it. Ooh! Random banter time, buddy. Talk to me, tell me, tantalizing tales of trivia and tidbits today.
1: Is that like the Leonardo DiCaprio the Island or something like that? I think the movie you're
0: thinking of is The Beach, which is thematically appropriate, except every quote that I saw from that, I'm like, you know, I realize I've never seen The Beach, so this Uh is absolutely meaningless. But do you want some hints? Sure. Okay, this is like, what do they call this place? It's like a green lagoon.
1: Oh, is this the Blue Lagoon?
0: No, I wouldn't do the blue lagoon because oh God, please, thank God. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of the dolphins. Uh. <laughs> but you know they're underwater where there's no lights. It's really dark in this lagoon and there's like a being that's in it. Do you want me to just tell you? Because I'm alluding to it. It's an old movie. It could be black and white. There could be a Creature monster. for the Black Lagoon? Boom! That's okay. the one right there. Yes, because it has bikini-clad women. It has okay underwater monster thing. Okay. And that's the tie-in that I have. Because everything that I looked up when I'm like, hey, summer quotes. And they're all just, I'm like, this is pointless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yep. There's a whole thing there. There's There's a whole whole thing. thing. I might not have even made the connection because I may have blocked that part of the book out, even (laughs) though I know we're going to talk about it. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, that's in this book. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) Let's keep in happy times. Let's keep in happy times. Let's keep in happy talk. Mm Mm-hmm. I bought myself a new book recently.
0: Ooh, you did? what did you I get? I
1: did. It's kind of cool.
0: Because I've recently got a new book from the library, which is not bought and will go away when I am done with it. Well, this one I bought, and I bought mm. it online,
1: and I mm. said, hmm, this sounds interesting because I, I've heard this guy talk, and I know that he knows what he's talking about, and, and, and I know that there's a little connection with us, and that is called The James Bond Lexicon, and this is written by Alan J. Porter and Jillian Porter, and, uh, well, you know, actually, I'm going to stop talking for just a second so we can play the ad.
0: 300,000 words, 5,000 individual entries, 453 pages, 271 stories covered, 80 original illustrations. It all adds up to one book. The James Bond Lexicon. The unofficial guide to the worlds of James Bond in movies, novels, TV, and comics by Alan J. Porter and Jillian J. Porter. Now available from White Rocket Books and via your favorite online bookstore. For more information, visit the companion website at jamesbondlexicon.online or follow us on Twitter at BondLexicon.
1: Hey, that ad, that voice sounds familiar. From with, somewhere. Is that our own Jeff doing like a an ad for a book? Well, that's yeah. awfully cool. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Honestly, though, this is the James Bond Lexicon by Alan J. Porter, and um we do some spots every now and again on the On Her Majesty's Secret podcast network. Alan J. Porter is one of the podcasters on that network, and he knows his James Bond. And this book is a thick, thick tome of the most obscure and most relevant James Bond things you can ever think of <laughs> in alphabetical order. From books, TV, comic books, movies, you name it, it's here. It's quite an impressive little feat.
0: Yeah, Alan and Jillian seem to know Bond to a degree that's almost, they know it too well. Yes, yes. Flipping through that book, it is excessive. Yeah. It is a weighty tome and it is excessive. <laughs> on the information that's in there, <laughs> and I am
1: glad to have it in my library. I mean, yeah, it's no, not it, one; of, it's not one I'm probably going to read from cover to cover, but it's definitely one that I want to go through and look at various little pieces of Bond lore and yeah, having good it just on my finger. So,
0: yeah, it's a good like flip through book where you kind of stop and just go, okay, what's ten thousand dollars? Ten thousand dollars is the amount of money that this was used for, and ten thousand dollars was the amount of money that this was used for. Oh, what about this? This is the license plate number of the car that drove past as. James James Bond was hoof- hoofing it across a bridge. It's just like, Whoa. So yeah, there is excessive detail. It's like great. Che
1: is a Korean sailor who helped bond stow away on a South Korean Navy ship en route to Hong Kong. And there's a code here about what that's to. This thing is all cross referenced. And so you can know exactly where things are coming from, but that is actually from the die another day movie novelization by Raymond Benson. So from <laughs> 2002. So there you go, folks, there you go. That is a kind of a cool little thing that I got and a cool little thing that our little show was able to help out with, which is nice. So that's my random banter. That is a heavy dose of Jeff random bantering yeah. too.
0: <laughs> I was flattered that they asked. It was really nice that they did. And so I was glad to give them a
1: hand. And I would like to give you not a hand, but a a platform on which you can say something that you have done recently that you would like to share with our gentle listeners.
0: Okay, stick with me on this, but I recently discovered that you can pay really good money To have chores delivered to your front door. Really?
1: That sounds cool.
0: Yeah, it's a service that I've recently discovered, which I'm super happy about.
1: Chores that... You can do. Yeah. You pay people money to bring you work for you to do. Oh,
0: yeah. Excessive amounts of money. So I'm super stoked about this because we've been working in our yard and our garden and everything and we need mulch and compost. So we got 15 yards of mulch and compost dropped off into our uh, driveway yesterday that I gone to the trouble of kind of tidying up around and clearing a little path around so we can walk by it and haven't distributed it in anything but boy howdy i got 15 yards of mulch and compost to move
1: around in the uh, front and backyard. i'm super excited about it that sounds like a good old time to me when do you (laughs) need me over to help dig the hole and hide the bodies because that's apparently what you've got
0: Yep, what I've got is body hiding chores So come on over anytime, Rick We'll just dig that hole deep And then uh, tell your wife that I don't know what happened to you Because you left for home hours ago
1: For any of our listeners that want to join and help out too It's really easy I'm not going to give you Jeff's address But here's a little bit of a game Go to Portland, Oregon and find a driveway filled with 15 (laughs) yards of yard (laughs) debris Because probably by the time this comes out It'll still be there
0: Oh, you never know. Ooh, zing. Hey. I got so many chores to do. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but we got to do this one, too, because. 14,
1: pounds, 14 yards. 14 <laughs> yards, yeah.
0: One yard will get uh, blown away in the wind or stolen by neighbor kids <laughs> making ramps or something, so. <laughs>
1: Ah, and while those kids are stealing the dirt to make ramps, since you're not doing any yard work, why don't you go ahead and give us a two-sentence replay from last episode? Power Pack guest stars
0: in Excalibur issue number 29, and by guest star, I mean that the entire family, plus Franklin Richards, gets gassed into unconsciousness at a psychiatric institute in London that is secretly a feeding ground for Nightmare, and only Alex is able to escape to be able to ask the local Excalibur team for help. Well, Nightcrawler, Captain Britain, Phoenix, and Megan quickly agree and jump to action with Alex so that they can near immediately get gassed and get captured by Nightmare, who torments them, feeds on them, and then is ultimately defeated by them when Franklin Richards' dream form takes over the body of Phoenix, causing their cosmically vast power sets to generate a giant... Everything is fine, and we all had a weird shared dream, so let's forget about the whole thing and never mention it again, Explosion. Now that the, this was not a very good story, and fairly forgettable, except for the page near the end where Excalibur is hanging out in the kitchen, in just their, not very much their sleepwear, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell
1: us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Let me just put on a bathrobe, and we can get to that. Does that sound like a deal? That sounds like a deal. Yeah.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. I'm also wearing just a bathrobe and, and put a good manspread on. So glad that the video
1: is eye-level. Alright. <laughs> so uh speaking about things that are covered up maybe a little too well, why don't you grab that bag with a little tiny beer inside it? Why don't you pull on out and out so you can see what beer is for this episode? Let's find out.
0: It is a teeny bottle. You are correct, and it is a this is Dug's or Doug's Tropic Punch Ale, a Swedish sour ale brewed with peach, mango, and passion fruit, and it has an upside down words on it that says "still water artisanal," which might be a joke to make it all foamy when you turn it <laughs> upside down or not. And story time on this is brewed and bottled by Dukes Sweden. There you go. It's it's a Nice label. Yeah, it's kind of tropical kind of pinky color on with black uh, palm trees in the background and white print. And it's just a tropical looking kind of one of those views you'd have if you were at a beach looking out at palm trees or something. So
1: it's pretty basic, but it looks nice. Yeah. Tropic Punch Ale is a joint effort with nomadic brewer Brian Strumpke of Stillwater Artisanal. We brewed this sour ale with lactobacillus and let it ferment with plentiful mango, passion fruit, and Peach Sweet from Sweden. So why would I ever choose a beer called Tropical Punch Ale?
0: You want to punch this issue?
1: That is not an incorrect statement. (laughs)
0: Because it ails you to have had to have read it? Or is it? Or is it the Tropic? Because the kids are in the tropics in the caribbean
1: well let me tell you my friend it's all of those reasons it is mm-hmm. all of those reasons <laughs> this was a no-brainer tropical punch ale we're on a beach you know this is the beer that jim power is drinking not the kids although yeah. the kids are probably having some bites of what is that mango what yeah is that's, that passion fruit no that's passion fruit mm.
0: Definitely smelling the passion fruit. (laughs) Yeah. It it smells nice. It has a really good nose on it. Very good nose. And that is, wow, that is a flat pour. Yeah, it's very flat pour. There's no real
1: fermentation in here at all.
0: No, it bubbles, but it goes away super fast. I mean, I was trying to do a real careful pour, and then I said, you know what? I'd just finish this off by just glugging it upside down, and nothing. There's zero head on that.
1: It's very, very pale. It is a very light Hefeweizen. Yeah, I was going to say a light
0: Hefeweizen, or it's got a little, uh, little, it's got some cloudiness. Yeah, it's like a hazy American lager that's really carbonated, would be my descriptor of it.
1: But the smell is just fantastic. Yeah.
0: As long as you like
1: that mango passion fruit smell.
0: Yeah, it is a good combo. Mm. That is, mm. yeah, I just want to smell this is all I want to do with it. It smells
1: so nice. A 4.5% ABV, so this thing is not going to really hit us too hard. No, it's just going to be pleasant. Oh, that is pleasant. Taste is incredibly really nice. pleasant.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. This is a tinier bottle, too. It says uh, 11.2 fluid ounces on it. So.
1: Okay, first of all, we've been saying that there is no head on this. There is bubbles. There is fizziness. Yeah, you get there's that, a lot of carbonation. That carbonation, that fizzy, fizzy, fizzy. But the taste is passion fruit. Yeah, it's Vangos. got a little bit, of, little bit of sediment in there floating around. Hazy. Yeah, it's just... A little bit of peach. Mm, yeah. It's got some acid. I would say a little bit of acid in there. Yeah, like a, like a lemon.
0: You know how, yeah, like, yeah. if you bite a lemon, you'd kind of have that lemony, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of like, oh, I got lemon tart in my mouth where it's like... Yeah. So it's not really sour. It is quite sweet. Very But sweet. it is very, very fruit. It is. I would not imagine this being a beer. This really does taste like mango passion fruit lemonade.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you guys right now, let me tell you folks, if you are not somebody that likes a fruity type of beer, this is not your cup of tea, because it's a beer. But yeah. no, this is an ale, and this is very, very fruity, it is very s- sweet forward, so if you got that sweet tooth that you want to you wanna feel, this is a good one. This is tasty, I like it, I don't mind a good fruit beer or fruit ale.
0: Yeah, and while it is a sour, it's a little bit more on the tart side than sour side, mm-hmm. but it's Neither one of those is oppressive. It is no. it is very much present in the flavor profile, yeah. but it isn't destroying the rest. It's not sour and tart for sour and tart's sake. It is just part of the package. It really is. It blends in really nicely. I like... This is quite good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Let's just drink these and call it a night.
1: I would like to, but we promised our fans that we would not only drink beer and chew bubblegum, But we would also read comics. And so we're out of bubble gum and we've got a beer. It means we got to read a comic. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Rowdy. I kind of destroyed that, didn't I? In. oh kinda there ain't no kinda about it I I, I, I trampled all over it that's the <laughs> I'd like you to help me get out of this bit <laughs> no that's
0: the thing this is literally the body that I have to bury in the backyard now this is what you've brought to me you came to me I told you about my chores and you delivered another one to me you created the reason why I have the chores I have to hide this corpse of a joke
1: uh, yeah and the only way you can do that is moving us on by giving us the opening credits
0: Marvel superheroes volume 2 issue number six Some Summer 1991, Natives in a Strange Land, credits, writer, Michael Higgins, penciler, colorist, Steve Buccioletto, inker, Don Hudson, letterer, Clem Robbins, overseer, Mike Rockwitz, Overseas Tom DeFalco,
1: featuring power pack, Alex Power, a chameleon horse boy with some powers, Julie Power, aka Lightspeed, pre-teenage girl that can fly, Jack Power, aka Destroyer, Pervy Kid, who can destroy stuff. Katie Power, aka Counterweight, little kid who can control gravity. Franklin Richards, whatever mind power is needed for the story. And guest starring Jim Power, scientist dad who is trying to help his wife. Who is not even in the issue? So,
0: Rick, what am I looking at here? You came by my house, did a sliding power stop in your car, and threw this comic book at my front door before peeling out and screaming, "Where the leopard sucker!" and playing Twisted Sister at full volume. So, what's up with that? Well, first off,
1: I just wanted to make an entrance. Your tire marks left the image of an obscene gesture in our cul-de-sac. You call it graffiti. I call it art. And second, this comic series is a quarterly anthology book that ran during the early 90s that published inventory stories, content that had been created as emergency filler for books in case of an emergency.
0: So these are stories that could be shoved in anywhere, just in case. This makes me feel like the Excalibur story we did last time could have been one
1: as well. Possibly. They're very much in the same vein. But we can talk about that later. For now, we are on a beach a nice tropical beach full of beautiful people enjoying the sun and the warmth and annoying kids asking to put lotion on them
0: so what do you say wanna let old jack here give your body a rub with some sunscreen jack leave the woman alone
1: stop being the worst Kids like Katie and Franklin building sandcastles. Kids like Julie ogling hunky lifeguards who are flirting with attractive, appropriately aged women.
2: That lifeguard has all the time in the world for that type of girl. I wonder what it
1: would take to get him to notice me.
0: Being 10 to 20 years older, Julie, would be the answer you are looking for.
1: And finally, people dressed in trench coats and hats. Well, it's a good thing that person won't stand out then. It is a red hat. Why not just set up strobe lights, an alarm, and a neon sign on yourself, Alex? Choices are being made. But this is a wonderful tropic beach known as the Lost Lagoon in the Caribbean, and the kids are relaxing as their father studies some type of aquatic phenomena.
0: Wait, uh, what about trying to get Maggie better?
1: Who? Wife, mother
0: of the kids. Went crazy recently?
1: Ah, sure. Yeah, they can do that, I guess. If it's, you know, plot convenient, that is. But they should be... Shark! Shark! Wait, what? Shark attack. Shark attack. It's time for a... Stop! Wait, what is
0: this? A Jaws ripoff now? And we've already done that bit before, like, two or three times.
1: Yeah, but why not do it again? It's a good bit. And also, a Martin Brody look like is there going, oh no, Jaws. So I'm sure that it's in the writer's mind. We also get images of a muscular man and bikini clad, beautiful women running from the water while trench coat Alex rushes into the water. Jack is right behind him, but Julie is caught in the crowd, and Katie and Franklin are kept away from the water by one of the many, 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 many supermodels that seem to inhabit this section of beach. We
0: also get another Martin Brody sighting, just in case you missed the sharks in the water joke the first time. Jack makes it out to where Alex's hat and coat are, but Horse Boy has ditched them to swim underwater where he sees some sort of humanoid fish thingy.
1: Back on shore, Julie looks to the dreamy lifeguard to do something, but in a lesson about optimism versus reality, he is only interested in saving his wonderfully sculpted body than in anyone else, and is getting out of here now. <laughs>
2: Man, she can have him.
0: Hmm,
1: that might become a character
0: trait in the future. Huh? Uh, never mind. Julie heads out into the water where her brothers are, just in time to see horse Alex come up for air, and then receive an uppercut to the jaw from a green-skinned fist.
1: Walk. Hey, 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 hang on! Why didn't Alex cloud underwater? He could have moved faster, maybe even not had to worry about breathing, and would not have received that sweet, sweet chin music.
0: Okay, first of all, uh, isn't sweet chin music a kick to the chin, not a punch? And second, because we need a bit of mystery in this story. Also,
1: we need to get Jack to hold up Alex and bring him back to the shore without Julie's help. Why? I mean, sure, Katie is not here to make them any lighter, but I am sure Julie could have handled lifting Alex up. But whatever. The family make it back to the empty beach where Katie and Franklin have escaped from the protective supermodels and are waiting that way so they can all costumes on and get to adventuring. And also, might I point out, that yes, sweet chin music is a kick, but it's not as funny of a joke.
0: Now we have an annoying scene. Alex admits that he ran out of air after he saw the manfish and had to give up the chase. At this point, all of the other kids start to laugh at him. Apparently, they think that Alex has forgotten that they can write a note to Bosco and elsewhere to ask for some underwater suits, which they then do.
1: I mean, sure. It is a way to remind the readers of this element of their backstory, or they could have just made a small comment while requesting the suits... I almost feel that there was some other dialogue that was supposed to be in these pages with this art. Oh, uh, well, we can discuss that later. For now, the kids have suited up and have
0: flown back out to the sea and gone underwater, where Jack correctly points out a seahorse to Alex and wonders if it's a friend of his older brother's. Jokes. Moving on. Instead of finding a green-skinned space horse-punching monster, they find an underwater team of repulsive scavengers, who seem to also be supermodels. Let me just say, there has yet to be an ancillary character in this comic that hasn't been a swipe right yet.
1: There is a group of divers who are finding and removing these bowling ball-sized iridescent spheres from the ocean floor. The kids head up to the sailboat above them to find out more about, you know... What's happening? Good
0: times is what's happening.
1: We'll talk about it later.
0: Alex comments that just because they don't like what the people are doing that it may not be illegal. But as they spy on the people on the boat, our first swipe left appears. It is the captain of the ship, and he comes up and starts to ask them what this bunch of stinking muties thinks they're doing on his... Uh, we're gonna belay that. We got other
1: issues. Oh, don't worry. The captain blames the kids for what looks like the grip of dynamite going off underwater. A very blonde Katie starts to degrab the ship, and Julie Picks it up and moves them away from danger. And then back into danger after she puts the boat back into the water, thinking that the
0: danger is done.
1: To which we find out that she thought wrong... For
0: Cam. Something hits the boat, and a mess of the baubles fall to the ocean floor, and the ship is
1: sinking. A helmetless Julie and a helmetless Cloudy Alex go underwater to try and figure out what hit them, with the aforementioned helmetless Cloudy Alex talking to a Dream Franklin about how they both see the manfish that previously punched Alex. I stress these points simply because, what, seven pages ago, Alex running out of air was a big deal. <sighs>
0: Meanwhile, forgotten plot points aside, Jack helps the crew who fell into the water. Especially the ladies. The lovely, lovely ladies. Jack! We talked about this. Not seeing the culprit, the pack D grab the wrecked vessel and fly back to land. As they do, and as the captain is complaining about how much this is going to cost him, and how those globes were priceless, and that, and that thankfully he still has a few left to fund his very expensive mustache wax habit, another member of the crew, looking like a cross between John Candy and Newman in a Hawaiian shirt, informs the captain that the globes belong to science, and to him.
1: Speaking of science, James Power is practicing science against one of the globes in a science lab filled with supermodel science lab assistants in mini science skirts, high science heels, and sexy science safety spectacles.
0: No matter how much Jim sciences the globes, he just can't figure out the science of them. The science just isn't sciencing enough.
1: As the science continues, a young, blonde, nervous-looking supermodel lady comes in. But she is not cleared for this much science, and another supermodel science assistant informs her to get out. Just in time for Mr. Hawaiian Shirt, who has not been named but proves that he is also a swipe left, barges in and tells everyone about his terrible, horrible, very bad, no good, rotten day, and that on top of losing a shipment of the globe things he was trying to steal from the ocean, and on top of the ship they were using to steal the globe things getting damaged, they had to deal with mutant kids who were upset that they were stealing globe things from the ocean. Man, if I had a nickel. I know, right? It's like, what is this, my life? Jim,
0: showing some legitimate concern for the first and possibly last time in this book, is curious about these mutant kids. What happened to them and
1: where are they? Mr. Hawaiian Shirts' response is this. Who knows and who cares? The less they're around real people, the better.
0: Yep, definitely a swipe left.
1: Soon! In a really nice beach restaurant, while the kids are having a nice sit-down discussion, Angry McDaddy walks up and yells at them.
0: Apparently, he's not mad about them doing superhero stuff. Just really, really angry about them destroying a ship doing science stuff. Julie tries to explain what
1: happened, but Jim tees off on them. He does not care what the truth of the matter is. He came here to chew bubblegum, do science, and help their mother. And now he's all out of bubblegum. And we guess their mom is a lost cause. So all he has left is science. And if he can't science, then what's the point? See, I knew I could make the joke work.
0: Yeah... He wants this nonsense to end, and he wants to know when it will end. When will the powers they got from a chameleon and the brain damages caused by chameleon interference all end? He has done everything that he can to resolve the situation by looking at pretty globes in the Caribbean.
1: Well, while he rants and the kids try to calm him down, the nervous blonde supermodel from earlier is at another table, mixing some potion in her beer.
0: That probably is not how it should work.
1: She only sees the Argoon family as a family together, something she wishes for. But her time is running out, and she is almost out of this drug. Well, ominous. True. But good news, everyone. Dad has calmed down. Aww. Aww. He needs to relax, so he suggests renting a boat and getting out for a while. This makes them all happy,
0: and so they head over to the marina. While walking along the pier, Jack sees the crew from earlier in a new boat. Uh Uh-oh. And they are messing with some more of those colorful globes. Oh, no. And also, and also, the nervous blonde supermodel from earlier sneaking onto that boat. Not good. Finally! Are you ready for this? She. Hawks out! Oh, no. Huh? Wait. Wait, what? With a scream of, THE MADNESS MUST STOP! I hear you, sister. She rips off
1: her dress. Whoa there, girl. Family-friendly comic, remember? And is now a
0: green-skinned-slash-scaled, one-piece-green swimsuit-wearing, dirty-green-haired, no-nosed, shark-toothed, angry woman that, uh, still looks like a supermodel.
1: So, Mariana on a bad day? Yeah, sure. Nearby! Franklin grabs his head and informs Jim Power that they need to turn around, Bad things are afoot. When did Franklin get a spidey sense? Like for always? Remember, he is a super psychic sensitive and he has rarely if ever been wrong. That is a fair point and one that Power Pack knows, which means... Jim Power screams absolutely not. They are out here to have fun whether they like it or not. No superheroing is allowed on this boat. Let's not soft sell this. Jim
0: has in very not Jim in this book. And this may be his not Jimmiest yet. Veins popping, spittle flying, totally
1: unhinged. Franklin tells him he is wrong, and Jim explodes. Franklin manages a sorry, not sorry, before he out of his body's astral projection style, to find out What is going on? Alex reigns his
0: father in, going for the calm approach, and that he understands that this is all difficult for him to get and understand, but he needs to look at what his own son is now. He's no longer human, even. He's a horse boy. And, you know, kind of since then, he's a contender for a spot in the Kentucky Derby, and that his dad has to realize that things have changed.
1: Good speech, bro. Jim agrees. And the now nautically knowledgeable novice flips a Yui and heads back into action.
0: And what action, you may ask? I
1: really didn't.
0: Well, you're gonna find out anyway. The not-she-hulk is tossing fools all over the deck of the ship. So we have a poop deck, Donny Brook! <sighs> sure. Which means she does not see the angry swipe-left captain from earlier in the story with the Louisville Slugger in his hands.
2: Walk, 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 walk,
1: crack! I mean...
0: She's dead, right? You would think so with so many different hits to the head that she took from him. And that would be bad because her mate, Malthus, a green-skinned, hulking, shark-toothed creature that is also not the Hulk, jumps out of the water onto the boat.
1: You're making that name up. You have to be. Nope.
0: Malthus, the creature from the Lost Lagoon.
1: That cannot be real. If it is, there is no way you know that.
0: But I do, from a little caption box that appears when Franklin shows up, who then recognizes this creature from the Lost Lagoon from some stories he's heard, and he tells the creature to stop.
1: Wait. Wait. If Franklin knows him, then... Yep. Did you really think we would make it through one last Higgins book without it being a
0: secret Fantastic Four tale? Did you? Well... You have literally been soaking in one this entire time. Malthus, the creature from the Lost Lagoon, has appeared in only three comics prior to this. Fantastic Four
1: issue numbers
0: 97, 124, and 125.
1: Come on, really? What is this story and how does it relate to Higgins' go-to gang?
0: Hang on a second, we will get back to it. I promise. But for now, because Franklin caused the monster to stop attacking, and Power has showed up, a pause button has been pushed, and everyone is just in standby mode.
1: The four siblings, including a red-costumed very-blonde Jack and a green-armed Alex, check out the wrecked body of the female green creature and do their healing circle on her, which, you know, thankfully works.
0: Okay, so, everybody is calm. Superheroes are on the scene. Both sets of the antagonists who have been causing the issue's issues are here now. What's next?
1: How about a huge cake rising up from the ocean? You know what? That sounds about right. Well, maybe not a cake, but it does really look like one. It's some sort of multi-layered,
0: multi-colored thing coming up out of the water.
1: Apparently, it is these alien spaceship and the colored globes were their eggs, which have hatched and the children are now floating around too. You know how you wanted me to tell you about those prior appearances? Well, I really didn't. I was just
0: being nice. Well, I'm not going to be because I'm going to tell you. The first was in a very very similar story. Malthus and his mate protecting their children until they could fly off in their ship. The second story with them was Malthus coming to earth to get medicine for his mate after she got sick from being on Earth previously.
1: So, when they left the first time, they did not bring all of their kids, and he did not pick them up when he ran out to get some medicine last time. That's the story? Yep, that's about it. Well, it looks like they got them all this time, so... Great parenting! They should start a book club with Reed or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they really should. The alien ship blasts off and the kids make a comment that their future is also in the stars. The last panel is the cheery family all smiling for the camera. Well not totally true. Maggie is not there and Franklin is technically not related.
1: Still a nice smiling group. When did they all get Alfred E. Newman gaps in their front teeth? Don't ruin this moment.
0: And, uh, how about the final line here? This story is dedicated to the crew at Power Lines. Live long and prosper. Michael Higgins.
1: Ah. Mood is ruined. Guess what? We're going to talk about that in a bit as well.
0: What about this, uh, next story in this, uh, collection of stories? It's, a uh, Cloak and Dagger in
1: Mercy Street? It looks like it's about an adult- Stop! Stop right there. We will not be covering that.
0: Well then, next issue- the Power Pack Holiday Special.
1: And this issue, themes of this issue. And we will start like we always do with Power Pack packaging time. And guess what? This is not a Power Pack issue. This is Marvel Superheroes Summer Special X-Men. Summer 1991. And this big, thick 80-page blockbuster contains inventory stories that just didn't fit in regular continuity because hmm, they might not have been The best. The cream of the crop. (laughs) But this one has X-Men and Sabra and Power Pack and the best superhero of them all, Speedball. God, I love Speedball. He's so great. Yeah, he's
0: he's super, super, super cool. Um, I can't
1: wait till we start our Speedball show. That's going to be fantastic.
0: Nuh-uh, because we're going to do a Frogman show. Speedball. Frogman. Speedball. I think mine's got a better name. It's going to be
1: Frogman Friday's Fancast. Mine's going to be called Saturday Special with Speedball Super. <sighs> <laughs> so this cover- one of those.
0: Or maybe we'll just do <laughs> Sabra because uh, I vaguely recall her name. Yeah, but, yeah. Go for it.
1: So uh, this cover was drawn by Art Adams, which is a good thing. Although this is not my favorite Art Adams drawing- <laughs> I like Art Adams. <laughs> I'm not too thrilled with this. The X-Men Storm looks good. Rogue looks pretty good. Yeah, Havoc from what we can see. He's all right. Colossus has got a real, real square jaw there. Uh, this is Psylocke pre when she turns into a ninja assassin. This is the- this is her wearing the pink armor when she was down in Australia. So she doesn't look great. And then Wolverine looks mm, off. And they're fighting the Abomination, who's-, who's down there at the bottom. And he's... He's looking very scared that he's in this comic, which I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> well, they're, they're all looking up uh at, at us. Know, upper yeah.
0: left out at us, yeah, kind of like, oh, there's something up there and if the abominations are like, oh, you know, it's something bigs going on in the this hand-wavy zone. Yeah.
1: And then in little circles kind of super, kind of appearing over the top of the cover, we've got a little circle with Sabra and i I don't know her that well but she is a the israeli superhero so she's got kind of the blue blue kind of black hair she's wearing a headband with a star of david on it and she's like you can kind of see the top of her costume with her blue cape you got speedball and you've got his like cameo picture he's coming in from the side and he's looking all speedbally and then we've got power pack and we've got the four power kids except you know alex is the big horse boy up there. <laughs> yeah. And they're all good. Ca- That's good looking drawing of the kids, honestly. That's good looking drawing. I, I think I like, I kind of like everybody except for the X-Men on this cover.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm fine with the X-Men. It You have complaints about it. To me, it looks very Art Adams X-Men. So I've got no problem with that. If I remember right, I think he tends to draw, you know, all men have pretty squared off jaws. Mm, so yeah,
1: Yeah, it's not, not my favorite, but it definitely got my attention back then because at the time I was collecting X-Men. I, and then this has got Power Pack, and so I like you know I was definitely going to pick this up, and then I read the comics in here, and I <laughs> I moved on. <laughs> well, who's not on the cover though is Cloak and Dagger, and Cloak and Dagger have a story in here as well. <laughs> yes, yes they do. Um, I tried reading the X Men one again, and the X Men one is it's twenty two pages in here, and and it's it's really interesting. It's it's not quite my favorite X Men story. It, it deals with them going after some. Different people who are suffering from gamma radiation and are who've been gamma radiated, but it's written by Roy and Danny Thomas and it's very, very wordy because it's a Roy Thomas gig. We got the Power Pack story, we got the Cloak and Dagger story, which deals with uh, one of Dagger's friends who is currently in the adult film industry business and she has a very sticky end, so it's a real great comic for your kids to read. Sabra is doing some kind of spy stuff herself and she's having a fight with another female superhero and then there's a speedball story where he's battling Bouncing Boy from Legion of Superheroes which is weird because that's DC property. Anyways <laughs> there we go so we got all that stuff going on in this comic but really we are only going to be focusing on Power Pack because that's our mandate, right?
0: Right? Yes, because we are a Power Pack show.
1: So, Jeff, what would you think of this comic?
0: <laughs> it is uh Uh, Since this was a summer special and I just, you know, ripped over to the power pack story, which is very bikini clad. It is very supermodel. It is the men are beefcake male models. The women are cheesecake, you know, lady models. It is there is, I think, a grand total of three normal looking (laughs) or unattractive people in this book. Otherwise, it is attractive as far as the eye could see it is a beach that i would do very poorly at because first of all i sunburn real easy and i would be i would make the fourth of the (laughs) for the for the uh, for the swipe left but uh,
1: (laughs) well let's let's place this book in where it belongs now we've been Mm -hmm. reading the we've been reading the series we got to issue 62 and that came out in december of 1990 at the end of that book, it was quite obvious that they didn't know they were going to be ending that quickly, and all of a sudden they ended, so they kind of did a wrap-up very quickly in that book, and they had a bit where they're like, well, we're going to run off and we're going to have these adventures, and then they that was one page, they came back the next page, well, we're done with the adventures, and we're now mm-hmm. moving on. So the two adventures were the Excalibur book and this book. They pointed to these. The yeah. Excal-
0: ostensibly because they were trying to go to, like, psychiatric sure. hospitals of renown that would be able to help Maggie and her uh, chameleon cause right. brain damage.
1: And apparently the one that they were going to in the South Hemisphere was on the way to the Caribbean, so they dropped her off and then they went for a beach party. Anyways. Or something. Yeah. So let's go through the timeline here. Excalibur 29 came out in August of 1990. Power Pack 62 came out in December of 1990. And this came out in May of 1991. So. <laughs>
0: so one came out way too early uh-huh. and one came out way too late. Yeah. So concurrency, thy name is not this. Right.
1: So the Power Pack 62 comes out and says, "Make sure you look for the Marvel Summer Special X-Men." If you went out and tried to find it, the people the comic book store said, "What? We've never heard yeah, of that before."
0: Out. Yeah. <laughs> look at the year. It's in the it's 90, not 91. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's way to go. So you know, we had to wait for this story to come out, and the Power Pack fan's were like, we're gonna wait for this book. Oh, this is gonna be great. Maybe it'll explain everything. It explains nothing. Nothing.
0: nothing. No, this is absolutely, it is another backdoor Fantastic Four story. All right, pretty much. It is another literally, it could have been dropped anywhere, and it would have made almost no difference, okay. except for the reference of, oh, we're, we're here to get Maggie some help, and Jim acting not very Jim-like, where I can, personally, I can go, okay, that's I'll attribute that to your version of the chymelion brain damage. Yeah. yeah. So
1: So, I want to point out one thing. I want to thank Mike's Amazing World of Comics because I was able to get the different dates when these books actually came out from there. So thank you very much. Mike's Amazing World of Comics. You mentioned Fantastic Four. I will mention Mophis, and we both will hit our heads simultaneously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We got the two books here, and I think we talked about them pretty well inside the script itself. But Fantastic Four ninety seven and the Fantastic Four one twenty four and one twenty five. This is old school, old school Fantastic Four stuff, and. If they were doing this, like we've posited before, oh, we want to keep the trademark on these old characters. I find that hard to believe because nobody cares about this character. Yeah, people like holding on to their properties. This isn't a really good property. It's a bad property. And it seems kind of stolen from another property. So really, (laughs) let it go. Let it go. The character's design is Horrific, and it's kind of like they took the original character design for, from when those Fantastic Four issues came out, and they said, "We'll just keep it. We won't modernize it at all." Mm-hmm. I gotta say, the artwork in this book is not bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty clean artwork. It's it's a it's a little more realistic than cartoony.
0: The artist likes
1: strong ladies, but he does a good job drawing them. Yeah, so you know they do look good. Yeah, everybody in here is drawn very well. All of a sudden, you have. These aliens and these alien monsters and these creatures. And you're like, what's going on? What's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. I can imagine the artist going, you want me to draw what? Okay, sure. Right, whatever. B- okay, sure.
0: Can we just get into the alien monsters? Sure. Just real Let's quick. Let's do it. Okay, so you have a boy alien monster and a girl alien uh-huh. monster. And, and since they loved each other very much, they had a bunch of invincible spheres that they made. Yes, it's a, t- it's a tale as old as time. The boy monster never speaks. Never says anything, but is very powerful, can wreck a ship and everything. He Doesn't growl, there is no noise. He just, he hulks and he lurks and he punches ships and he moves fast in water. <laughs> Done. Girl monster. Apparently. Hooked on drugs. The drug is, it's like, <laughs> oh, she's hooked on drugs. That's the problem. That's why they abandon their children yeah. and their babies. No, it was because she's using this drug as a transformer. Yes. It's, a, you know, it's to make her appear human. So, she... Can look human. She knows where the eggs are. She knows where the science lab is and where the boats are that are doing it. She knows where her clutch of eggs is at. She can speak English and understand English. She could communicate at any time. Here, This story is very Shakespearean in that the problem is people aren't talking. And this entire... Oh, what is it? 23, 24 pages or something comic could have been wrapped up with alien lady goes to scientists and says, hi, I am an alien lady. These are my eggs. Please stop stealing my children. This is the last ones I can have. I can prove it to you by becoming an alien here. Wait, watch. roar." Don't be scared, I won't hurt you. I just want my babies back. Done. The only
1: problem is, is that, you know, they're already experimenting on these things. She's probably like, These people are horrible people, and I don't know if there's anybody I can trust. And she wouldn't be wrong. Here's the deal. They're experimenting because they can't scan them or anything. Right, uh, right. That's
0: another but, thing that annoys me, is that they're like, Oh, they're all our earthly tests cannot determine what these are, says Jim Power, the man with it with an alien spaceship who could do all the <laughs> scanning and determine what these things are. And then Friday would probably be like Oh yeah, this is a... Hey, leave that alone. Yeah, that's a Mophis
1: egg. Put it back. <laughs> but here's the thing, though, is that but all the, the major players in this are pretty horrible people. The captain of the mm-hmm. boat is pretty horrible. The John Candy guy is extremely horrible. And Jim Powers, who we would usually say is good, is horrible. She's looking around saying, huh, I'm not seeing anybody I can trust. The people in charge all seem horrible. Mm-hmm. I think changing would be a Bad idea for her.
0: Yeah, but it's, again, it's the fact that they understand the human tongue and can speak a human tongue. Mm. It's just simply a communication issue. They needed to talk. It could have been real simple. And maybe then you could have another story where it's just like, these aliens are claiming they're they're these eggs, but we don't know what they are, and we think that they're trying to steal from us. It could be some sort of animosity like that, as opposed to, uh, you know what the best way of uh, telling somebody to stop stealing my children is punching their boat.
1: Uh, it, it it's worked for me. It might in the past. scare them off. Yeah, I could see
0: how that might actually work,
1: but it's not going to get them back. I also broke a little bone in my hand when yeah. I did that too, because I don't have superpowers.
0: <laughs> you you swam slowly <laughs> up to a sailboat and broke your knuckles on it. Stop no! it! No!
1: No! My seas! I want! I want to! I want it back! Yeah! As, as much as we kinda like the drawing in this. There's some Yeah, the art's good. Yeah, it's good. There's some miscoloring steps that are kind of Oh
0: yeah. There is it's rife with prevalent miscoloring steps. And yeah, there's a number of issues.
1: Which which is odd because on the whole the coloring is not bad. It's just every now and again, there's, it, it's that editor kind of thing. It's, it's things mm-hmm. that could easily have been caught by a, by a good editor keeping track of this.
0: Yeah. There's a very blonde Katie. There is a very blonde Jack. There's a very blonde Jack in a red tattletale costume. There is a, you know, a not pink suited flying Julie whose suit is very white. There is a Katie with her white suit with a big blue splotch in the middle. There's a red suited Alex with has a green left arm there. You know, it's yeah. there's lots and lots of those there's kinds lots of things, of things that are just
1: kind of wrong and off and, and everything else. And speaking of off though, um, <laughs> there's a final line here. There's a final comment and it's, the story is dedicated to the crew over at power lines, live long and prosper. Michael Higgins. Now, as we've already said, this came out way, way late after everything was canceled for power pack land. Mm-hmm. This is probably something that Michael Higgins added in to this story before it went to print. And what may sound like a nice cheerio to the power lines, which at the time, that was one of the two main fanzines that were coming out. And we've been getting a lot of those from one of our fans. They've been sending us a lot of that stuff. And we've been going through and looking at it. It's not a nice line. It is him kind of giving a grunted nod or wink at them. The fanzines at the time were very highly critical of Higgins because the po- the fanzines for power pack were very much pro power pack they love the series they love the work that people had done on it before. You know, they, they would have their quibbles. But when it came to Michael Higgins, they were not happy at all. And they were very critical of him. They sent a lot of letters into Marvel. They did a lot of posting in the fanzines about their dislike for the, the stories and for the direction it was headed. So there was a lot of animosity between the group and the creators. I asked our fan who has been sending us this information about this, and they said, that was not seen as being friendly at all. That was him kind of giving a send off to the the Powerline fans who probably were kind of instrumental in also getting the book canceled of with their displeasure about what had been happening. Take it for what it's worth. This is what we're seeing at, at now, you know, 20 plus years later.
0: Yeah. It's always funny how uh, things can, decades can go by and things can be revealed like that. Cause I had no knowledge about that.
1: And the other thing too, that I think is kind of a bad, I don't know what it is, but it's this last panel where you see power pack and, and Franklin and, Jim all smiling, and they've all got this gap tooth smile. I'm not yeah. sure what that's about either, because
0: yeah, it's it's a big uh, kind of buck tooth, gap tooth, Alfred E. Newman yeah. kind of you know like family portrait. It's weird. It's the only kind of bit of cartoony art in here, and it, looking at that, even without knowing like Powerline stuff, it's kind of like I don't know if this is like an insult or not with this piece of art?
1: I'm taking it as an insult. I mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that the art is about right, but there's some inconsistencies here. And I almost wonder if somebody came back in over the artist's drawings and drew the smiles in there like that. They don't fit and they're not consistent with a lot of the other art in the book. Just the smiles. They seem off. Well, yeah, the entire bit of art there is off. It's hard to tell. There's something not right about those that ending. And, and, and I actually think that there's something off about a lot of the other story as well. I know that no. you and I have had, you and I talked about this earlier in the week. I think that the dialogue in this just doesn't seem to fit some of the artwork. I am wondering, since this was an inventory story, if the, the artwork was done on most of this after changes after the ending of the book that it was brought back and they're like well this this artwork was referencing something else that was happening and we don't want to do that instead we just want to we want to change how the artwork's done because the entire thing about them making fun of Alex because he doesn't know about the underwater costumes i just find like it doesn't fit that entire scene just seems off for me because they're they're mocking him and they're laughing at him about costumes and it seems Okay they've done this bit before they Alex knows about this Higgins knows that Alex knows about this and it it seems just very insane I almost think that there was something else that was being talked about here and they decided to change it, and they decided to do asking for underwater breathing costumes, just because it just it seems weird. There's a lot of stuff in here that seems weird and strange. Jim being so angry in here doesn't make sense. The interactions, everything just seems weird and off, even more so than other stuff we've seen for Hagen's. That's my opinion. I know you disagree with me.
0: Yeah, I have different opinions. I again, you can put a lot of this of the foot of the writer. Yeah, but I think you know with the Jim thing. I can excuse that just for saying Maggie went kind of catatonic sure. with, you know, the reveal that the power children have powers. Okay. That's her storyline. She is now just sidelined to being catatonia woman. Great. That's lame. It's a terrible storyline. That's what they're doing with her. I could see it with Jim. You know, Jim was very able and going, but you know, it's like, they never talked about the power stuff. They never did this. You know, there's a lot of things that they didn't do. It's kind of like put the plaster of, you know, the, the thin veneer of normalcy over what's going on. Nobody cares about anything yeah. that's going on in story. And I would just see this as Jim's behavior in here would be something that you could grow on with growing stories where it's like, oh, this is the brain damage he's got. He's he's losing it in a different way. Instead of going catatonic, he's going, you know, kind of psychotic, kind of manic depressive or manic angry kind of a thing. So I could see that with him. That, that's my my forgiveness of, to the writing mm-hmm. of this by saying, Oh, that's a story beat element of that's his brain damage. Yeah. This two-page thing with the, you know, Alex going, you know, oh, I couldn't breathe underwater, and so this and da-da-da-and-there, oh giggle, giggle. You can talk to elsewhere. It's a way of giving, you know, I see that as a writer trick of just going, Oh, okay, I can tell reveal some storyline things of the like, you know, just it, it also, I see it as two page filler.
1: Yeah. I think
0: this was something that the writer put in to do the, the awkward, it, you know, came from nowhere, goes nowhere. Kind of like, oh, it's the family fighting thing. And it's kind of cute and funny, but it's also, ha you forgot the thing. And uh, look, we're smart too, blah. And we used to call you smart Alex. Ah, joke, family, family dynamic. We we had a fight. That's family. And then they move on and forget about it. It's just
1: so, so badly.
0: You know, it's done very badly because, again, a couple of pages later, Alex is a cloud without a helmet yeah. underwater talking to Dream Franklin with no problem. So it's like... They don't need it. It's a standard Higginsverse thing where it's just like, introduce a problem, ignore the problem, do whatever you want. It, here it, is some uh, awkward family it, dynamics. And we, have,
1: we don't have Friday in here at all. Friday's not mentioned as well. No. Which, again, it's like one of those things of... Hey, there's some weird alien things, or we don't know what this is. We can contact Friday. No, no mention of Friday at all. We want to. We yeah. want to go out a boat. How about this? How about call Friday and go out on Friday, and yeah. they don't have to rent a boat.
0: Friday can transform. Friday could become a Friday boat. Exactly, and They're then sorry. Friday could become a Friday submarine, and they could go explore under the water and see stuff, and go, oh, what's that? You know, maybe in they can go through, and maybe in the background of one of the images, they could have the Tiffle. Bl- layer cake thing spaceship <laughs> where you'd be like oh it's just coral or whatever and then it's like oh wait a minute that was our spaceship you know that could be kind of neat but
1: I want to go back a, up a little bit and talk a little bit about the 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 messies with the coloring which is strange it's very very strange with that there was accidents with the coloring here because Steve Buccioletto and I'm sorry if I'm saying that name wrong is the artist on here and in my creator spotlight that I want to do for this I want to talk a little bit about him he was mostly known as a colorist and he has done everything. He started in 88 and he has worked on Avengers stories. He's worked on Nick Fury stories. He did do power pack Mysterio. He was, he was the penciler of that one, which we like some of the stuff on that one. A lot of them we don't, were really happy with. I think he did a better job on this one. He has done Captain America uncanny x-men fantastic for but most of that's been colorist type work he's done some penciler work here and there as well but he's he has had a pretty long and distinguished career going all the way up until i don't know recently he's done Wildstorm. he's been working on wonder woman uh, 1984 number one as a colorist still he's pretty much kept around a lot manhunter batman yeah, he's kind of done everything, but he's mostly done colorist work. As far as his art in here goes, I've liked it. I liked it. I thought he was quite competent as the artist. I think that his, he draws kids fairly well. We have seen a lot a lot of people do kids much, much worse. He's made them a little bit older and teenagers, but I think that's fine. I don't know. what What's your opinion of his art in this?
0: No, I think his art predominantly is really decent. He... Likes to draw ladies and muscular men, and he does that very well. We're back to muscular horse Alex, which is a great look. The kids, he kind of has physically aged up. At least he has with Julie. Higgins has introduced her being a little boy crazy. It's never been in there before. And kind of introducing Jack is like, oh, I like the ladies, where it's like, yeah, he's never been interested before except for uh, Dakota North. So all the kids do seem... Like they put an, a year or two on to themselves. Yeah. Predominantly, yeah, the art looks really good. Again, there are coloring issues. But the art, for the most part, is very standout. It looks really nice.
1: The only other thing I'll talk about, Steve Buccioletto, is that he uh, goes by an alias, Electronic Crayon. You could call me Electronic Crayon.
0: Okay. Uh, I didn't know he had an alias called Electronic Crayon. He does. I, that's news to me.
1: You know what else is electronic? No. Science. Oh. <laughs> Science corner, Jeff. What do you got for me, man?
0: A surprise. It came out of nowhere. (laughs) Electric crayon. I do not have an electric crayon. (laughs) However, in this issue, Jack politely and not skeezily asks a beachgoer if she would like him to, and I quote, let old Jack here give your body a rub with some sunscreen. And this got me thinking. Maybe, just maybe, I was wrong about my assessment of Jack not being a skeez, but it also got me thinking about sunscreen and how it works. Sunscreen works by combining organic and inorganic active ingredients that protect the skin against the sun's rays. There are two main types of sunblock available, physical sunscreen and chemical sunscreen. Physical sunscreen, also called mineral sunscreen, contains inorganic physical UV filters that reflect, scatter, and block the sun's rays before they penetrate the skin. These active mineral ingredients, also known as physical blockers, are designed to sit on top of the epidermis rather than be absorbed into the skin. An example of this type is zinc oxide. You know, that white over-the-nose kind of stuff that you'll see that always looks so attractive. Chemical sunscreens function in a different manner, though. This type of sunblock contains organic carbon-based, active ingredients designed to absorb UV radiation upon contact. Chemical sunscreens contain organic compounds that catalyze a chemical reaction when exposed to the sun. This reaction transforms UV rays into heat, which is then released from the skin. While physical UV filters block both UVA and UVB rays, chemical UV filters often only protect against one or the other. So, there you have it, how sunscreen works. And take it from me, a pasty guy that burns easy, you should use it. And that is this week's Science Corner.
1: I would like to just point out that I'm disappointed you talked about sunscreen and not your favorite new mutant of all time, Sunspot. Anyways, power thoughts time, folks. We're going to talk about refrigeration. You want to go there? You want to go there? (laughs) No, I don't. No, I don't. Let's go there. We're going to go there. Let's go there. <laughs> so, uh, power thoughts. We're going to start off with Refrigerator Gallery, where we are not going to talk about Sunspot, <laughs> but we are going to talk about what pieces of art needs to be on the families. Well, we were saying ice chest that was on Friday, but since Friday seems to have disappeared, um, I guess on the ice chest in the galley of the ship that they rented? Fine, that I works. guess. Okay, well, yeah. what, what artwork are we going to stick to that styrofoam container that they're just carrying around with them because they don't have a refrigerator right now
0: (laughs) it's not magnets it's stickers what what, what magnets with push pins through them
1: what funny backup one do you have for me on this on this book that i bought for you for five bucks from cosmic monkey comics in portland oregon
0: my joke backup is on page 40 and i call it a horse walks into a bar and the bartender says why the long face And that is the top panel on this page, and that's when the power children are at a table around a, a bar or a restaurant, and uh, Alex is there wearing his uh, cat diesel power hat and his you know overcoat, and he is a horse that has walked into
1: a bar. You know, in Alex's defense... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to finish this sentence. Uh, it, it is the Lost Lagoon, and they've seen weirder things. I mean, yeah. they one time were sitting there serving somebody, and this this lady in jet skis just came like right up onto the... That's a James Bond reference. Anyways. Yeah, uh, a horse in a bar and an angry father coming up to him. These kids are getting all the attention in the restaurant.
0: Yep. yep. I love the fact that ju- it's just that throw a hat on and a trench coat and you can be ignored in any situation. Horseman. Nobody has batted an eye about him being on the beach or anything. But then again, it is a world of superheroes as, and as mutants as, and everything. As soon as this so.
1: pandemic thing is over, you and I need to do a test. We both need, mm-hmm. on the hottest day we can find, trench coat, ball cap, and we need to pull Ben Grimm and see if it works oh and
0: we can and we can get the uh, we, we could even get the uh, the horse mask Yeah, yeah get the, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just
1: swelter and die we, in there because we it's the horse a tiny mast, breathing hole the big vindora the the trench coat with the, the <laughs> collars popped and we just see what happens we are in I'll disguise tell you what happens we're ignored entirely <laughs> we do live we do live in portland so it, it yeah. might not get a second look maybe not all right on page 36 <laughs> pictures coming to a Twitter near you folks <laughs> page 36 I have one here and I call it wee <laughs> and this is, <laughs> this, is the this the middle is the panel. Middle panel. <laughs> 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 and, and this is when after Julie has moved the boat to safety they get back in the water that is dangerous yeah, they get slammed by something and I mean this big for cam and 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 it rips up this boat, something fierce. Yeah, and, it
0: cuts the back off yeah, the boat. Like, you know, Actually, the front, it cuts the uh, the bow it, off the boat. And you
1: see, like, yeah. you know, the, these these globes fly up in the air, and you see the mast fly up in the air, and you see a bunch of debris fly up in the air, and you see one of the women fly up in the air, and, like, her, her legs are going one way, her arms are kind of going the other way, and she's like, "Wee!" Yep.
0: I'd say she's ragdolling, but it looks more like a, a Summer's Eve Leap for Joy yeah, it looks commercial. looks like she's
1: just having a ball.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's having a fun all the time. That's trampoline fun right
1: there, buddy.
0: Wee, <laughs> That one just
1: that, that stopped me. I, I... What do you have for your top funny one? My top
0: joke one is on page 45, and I call it... The Six Body Problem. Okay. And I call it that. It is the bottom panel. It's basically the bottom half of the page. And I say it's a Six Body Problem because in this panel, besides if you ignore the giant layer cake spaceship that looks... that just don't even want to get into it. It's ridiculous. If you look and you look at all the power children, including Franklin, there is, from left to right, there's Tattletail, there's Jack, there's Julie, there's Horse Alex, there is Jim Power holding an unconscious Franklin. There is Katie. And then above Katie is a dream self Franklin. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six out of five children are there. There's, there's multiple Franklins. There's, there's an extra Franklin. Normally there's two of him. Now there are three.
1: I have a no prize for this. Are you ready okay. for this?
0: I will accept it. And I'm going to bet that it is because of uh, Franklin's godlike psychic powers.
1: No, nope. That's not the reason at all. Maggie finally showed up. One of them is Maggie. Okay.
0: One of them could be the Elan disguised as anybody because there he just go. pops in as people one. from time to time now,
1: here's the funny thing and it has nothing to do with what you described what you described I think that is hilarious my funny thing is mm-hmm. this is the same picture I chose from my top funny one for entirely birth- different reason and the entirely different reason is I called it happy birthday to us happy birthday to us birthday to it's us. this big old cake coming out of the water <laughs> and it's a birthday cake
0: <laughs> happy birthday I nailed it I made us a birthday cake <laughs> Yeah.
1: Okay. Let's get into it. Is, it is. It's, it's. Yeah. It it's, is it's a, a whew, thing. It's a. It is. Thing.
0: I, w- I. would not look at this and go spaceship. No. No. I would look at this and go. Huh. huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Let's go to the top best art because we do like the art. So let's say what our favorite art is. What do you got? What do you got yep. for your favorite one?
0: And again, you can look on our website. Uh, Jeff and Rick present unpacking power power pack. And if you click on this issue, you'll be able to see the art that we picked. So you will get to see this fruit tiffle layer cake thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll be in a place of prominence with some funny words above it and below
1: it. Yes, yes it
0: will. My backup favorite one is on 42, and I call it, You Wouldn't Like
1: Me When I'm Angry. And I called that one as my backup best one, Stop in the Name of Love. (laughs) Before you break
0: my eggs, stop. Stealing them from the ocean's depths, I laid them there.
1: Don't Don't make make me angry.
0: Wow, it's like we practiced yeah. that. Oh, yeah, we man.
1: practiced it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have the lady who was drinking the drugs to be the human like. The drugs wear off and she goes, Rip. Yep. "No, I'm not naked under here. I have got this beautiful, sexy one piece swimsuit, mm-hmm. and I'm an angry, sharp toothed lady. And I'm a supermodel." And size so Sam saying, "Stop." Yeah. Yes, yep. this is a very good piece of art. It is. I it's great it. looking. Scary as heck, but great looking. Well, yeah,
0: if an uh, everyday, average, uh, ordinary blonde supermodel transformed into a uh, an ocean-based alien who is also a supermodel, it would be very shocking.
1: I think I mentioned this before, but um, we do live in Portland, so it's not that out of the ordinary.
0: Yeah, that's probably something that goes on. We do have Unipiper. If you don't know do Unipiper, Unipiper, look up Portland, Oregon Unipiper. You Unipiper. Will, it, it, you will thank us. Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing. He's a nice guy. I've met him.
1: That that's, That is a challenge. We want to see how many people come onto us on Twitter and... And respond back with them seeing the Unipiper. You go and do the Google search for Unipiper. Come back and leave us a message on our Twitter. Now, what's going to be awesome is we're going to forget we said this. Yep. And when we put out the ep- the episode, we won't have any idea why. Yep. Why? You
0: get the comments about a thing and we'll be like, what's mm-hmm. what, what's this what? about? What? Why is no everybody idea. asking us about Unipiper? I don't know. Whatever. I
1: don't know. Cool. Unipiper's awesome. So my top favorite one, since you stole my backup mm. one. I'm going to go ahead and say it, And this is on page 24 and 25. I'm going to go ahead and cheat because this is a long panel. And this would be... Uh, this was, I originally shark had tech. this one, but shark I did tech. not do it. Time for a time for a shark attack. Shark attack. Shark attack. Time it's for a time, for a time over talk. Shark attack. Okay, so this is Oh no, Jaws 5. This is all the people running out of the water and it's just a bunch of people running out of the water yep. on a really cool beach. I don't know. I just couldn't get by this. It's it's a very kind of it's a very cool scene, and I think it's I don't know. I just liked it.
0: No, liked it's it. it's a great one. This was on my list. It got usurped by something else, but yeah. And prominent left half panel is Martin Brody. It is yeah. You know the police officer from the movie Jaws. It is. Yep. It's a Jaws reference, and he even says, <laughs> "Oh no, Jaws!" It's just like nobody says. You don't see a shark and go, "Oh no, Jaws!" You go, "Oh no, sharks!" But <laughs> I,
1: you be you. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say we need a bigger boat. Anyways, (laughs) we're um, gonna
0: need a bigger boat.
1: (laughs) What is your top favorite art? My top favorite piece of
0: art is on page 32, and I I want to guess. I want to guess. I want to guess.
1: You call it. You call it Charlie Sheen.
0: I do not call it Charlie Sheen. I call it Wild Thing. You really move me,
1: but I want to know for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is. I, we all just went to Major League for a second. I apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that was in my mind, but no. It is, a, it is a full-page thing, you know, panel with a little cutout of Captain Swipe Left in the upper left-hand corner. But it is their sailboat with the globes on it and the supermodels, and it's being attacked by the non-talking aquatic Mophis sea monster from Spaceman. It just, it's a great looking boat. It is really, really good. Oh, and we call it Wild Thing because it's named Wild Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great looking boat. It's a great looking boat. Everything about that panel looks really good. Yeah.
1: I think it's a very, very cool scene. I think it's a good choice. Good choice. Um, You did screw up this time, which I normally expect from you because you usually are a screw up. It is time for Rubber and Glue Moments. What is the best or most childish insult we can find in this book? And throw at Jeff. Jeff, I'm going to tell you my backup one, and my backup one is one page forward from what we just talked about, mm-hmm. and this would be Jack talking to Swipe Left, and he's saying, what would you do? Why are, what are you means trying to do to me? And Jack responds with, it isn't us, Swabby. Ah, uh, yes. Calling a <laughs> nautical guy, Swabby. Swabby.
0: Very nice. <laughs> thank you. Thank very, you. Thank very, very nice. You.
1: I thought that was a nice little Jack dig there. That is a great little Jack dig.
0: My backup one is on page 29, and surprisingly, it's another Jack one. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why. Jack is always very insulting, and that is why. It is when the Power family have costumed on, and they've gotten their helmets on, and they've gone underwater. And they're all together, and Jack's all like, hey, check it out. And Alex is like, have you spotted something? And Jack says, I sure have, Alex. Alex. A friend of yours, and he's pointing at a seahorse because he's a seahorse, and now <laughs> is a horse underwater he's in the
1: sea. <laughs> I just thought yeah. it was funny. I, yeah, it's it's a it's a funny thing, and the only thing I my response to that is on page twenty three, mm-hmm. and it would be get lost, Pippleface. face.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's my top one.
1: <laughs> this would yep. be this would be one of the supermodels who Jack is trying to oil up, telling him to get lost. Pimple face. hmm Pimple face. Yep,
0: That's the top, that's, that's the, top. the top.
1: That is the top one. Okay, <laughs> we got that out of the way. It's time to do stars and detention. We need to identify the child who was the best and the child who was the worst. Who is getting detention? Who is getting the star? I think we both have the same detention. Probably. It's got to be Jack. It's Jack. Don't be gross, Jack. Yeah.
0: Don't Jack be gross. Is, <laughs> Jack did, you know, rush out of the water and technically save sure. Alex from drowning. Sure. And he did help supermodels back onto the boat that the front was ripped off of. But otherwise, Jack did nothing. <laughs> and Jack was... <laughs> Fairly skeezy. It's
1: fairly, fairly, but This is the book where I kind of had to question my thought of Jack throughout the entire series. I was like, Jack never acted this way. Never. No. And and I'm like, I, I just didn't get it. It's like this is so not Jack. It was amazing, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: It, yeah it really wasn't.
1: Let's move mm-hmm. on to the best. Let's move on to the best. Yep. Who do you have for the best? I am going to say Alex. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I did too. He rushed into danger. Yep. Uh, at least on the beach. Uh, he calms yep. his dad down.
0: Yeah, a couple times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes, he was covered up, but he was still interacting with the family, and he wasn't moping the entire time. Exactly. He wasn't bemoaning his fate. He yep. wasn't
0: like, my powers are dumb, and I'm a horse, and nobody loves me. No, I'm, he I'm was... a
1: horse, and I'm, I'm going to interact as much as possible. As yeah. much as horsely possible.
0: As much as horsely possible. <laughs> Alex... Had it going on. He did the good stuff. He's also the one who spotted the the man fish. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. All right. All right. We agree. We agree. We agree. And that can only mean that we need to agree on another thing. Jeff. Pick a number between 1 and 10. 8. 8. 8. You chose 8. And that means you're going home. Because on our long, long list of the best Power Pack comic stories, we are going to talk about them. And we're going to go ahead and break them down. And I'm going to walk through the list and just see where we're at. Jeff chose number 8. That's where we'll start. And that is going home from Power Pack 26. And that's when the kids head home from the Snark Wars and they run into Cloak and Dagger. Hey, Cloak and Dagger was awesome in this book. And we're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> down to place 16 and this is snark attack snark attack we like doing this little song we do that yeah, was power pack so 17 that was a long fight with jackal going on down to 28 julie helps a friend that is being abused by her dad oh that must mean this is the runaway from spider-man power pack psa that's all the way down mm-hmm. to 28 going on down another eight spot let's say to power pack Number two, Butterfinger. This is in spot 36 and this is back second issue of power pack where they attempt to destroy the machine. The Starks want it's their first meeting with Carmody. Oh boy. So going on down to 48, we have monsters. And I think we talked about this last time. This is where power pack number eight the kids are captives they break out and save dragon man further further down to number spot 56 we have secrets power pack number six we're getting a lot in the lower ones here when i'm doing this jumping down it's kind of funny but that's the first of the dragon man trent family trilogy i going down to spot 66 we have back to school from power pack number 60 this is when alex first turns into horse and some snails team and fight them that that happened not too <laughs> that, long that's ago. a real thing
0: that's we, not words yeah, we're making up we, that we happened. are not
1: making that up at all well, you know, it was a, it was a it was a pretty heavy fight last time between Excalibur and Power Pack number fifty six. But Power Pack fifty six still has the bottom of the list, and I think it's going to stay there. I've got problems with this story, but I don't think it is the bottom of the list. But we're not going to go too much higher. All right, Jeff.
0: Yeah, it's not the bottom of the list by any stretch of the imagination. No, but it's, it's not great, but it is not the worst. No, it no, really isn't. No, and it is definitely better than the Excalibur issue. Mm. i would say it's way better than the excalibur issue
1: i i have i have some fundamental issues with this issue mm-hmm. uh just because i think that the i think that there's some re-editing that went on in there and i think that the i don't think there is Again, <sighs> yeah but we I just, argue on that but it's what on it is, that, but it is yeah. mm, boy well where
0: are you feeling it at because i think it's better than that i think it's uh <laughs> i think <laughs> honestly i think it's better than the uh, low there shall be an ending
1: yeah, yeah, boy. I, I mean, here's the thing, though, is that I—I
0: I think it's better than the Red Ghost attack stuff. Yeah,
1: I, I really think, though, that 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 I still see that X Factor Annual number two is too low because I, I really can't put this below Shelter from the Storm because the Shelter from the Storm has just got some. Uh, real issues in there Mm -hmm. we were just talking about the alex turning into a horse from the first time with the snails and the tmnt i think Uh that's this this is the same type of vibe i think that's the gold standard for this one i think that this is the the same vibe as this it's just like Mm -hmm. it's a weird story that doesn't quite make sense i would put this above that one because i like the art in this story Better than I like the idea of it, that it, one.
0: It's it's got it's got a fight with some weird aliens in it.
1: It does. So it does. I mean, there, there's there's the yeah.
0: same kind of vibe that's in here. I, don't... I was gonna say I was looking at this one and i was thinking i like this better than tmt T course yeah fight yeah. I,
1: I think i don't think this is better than the starstruck issue that's the power pack 58 where they steal from galactus and the pack fights evil nova I, 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 there's the same yeah, kind of like starts... this is this is this is a higgins story <laughs> versus a Higan story but yeah that one still is better and it's got more relevant characters <laughs> which is so, saying yeah. something considering we're talking about nova and galactus um and star stalker and yeah so
0: <laughs> and and a mysterious man
1: <laughs> yeah i this one this one is just so inconsequential and mm-hmm. so whatever i i would say that I think this is the new 66. I'm
0: fine with it being the new 66. It's, uh, uh, again, it had issues. I found it mostly to be kind of, yeah, whatever, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it being 66 is fine.
1: I, I'm kind of surprised. I've really disliked this one for a long time, but I think that there's there's definitely other problems I've got with yeah. other things that are in here. And like I said, the art is not bad in this, and that, no, saves it, good. that saves it from other things, and it's not problematic or just just really angry. <laughs> I'm just really, really it, angry at this point yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah that's that i think that's a, a good threshold for it It doesn't make me angry <laughs> it just it makes just me, makes it, me go okay it makes me okay. sad, makes me yeah.
1: sad. <laughs> there,
0: right. uh, here's the again we talk about this a lot but there is a story here yeah that could be something that could be good and it's 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 there it would be similar to this but it's just around the edges it's there, it's the periphery of a story that would actually be compelling.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got some issues with their mom being injured, them not really re- referencing their mom, and they're just laying around on a beach. But there, there's some things there that they could do with, and they could do something good with. And ah, I'm done talking about it. I want to talk about beer. <laughs> I'm going,
0: well, I'm going to talk about it. I could see the kids can't do anything to heal their mom, although they've never tried with their healing power that they use from time to time and their dad also can't do anything for the mom. So he's just like, Hey, we're here. Uh, I could, I could do the thing that brings me calm and peace. I will do some science. So, you know, and since I am a scientist, obviously I know all fields of science, including, uh, oceanics.
1: So we need to move on. We're wasting way too much. We're spending way too much time on this story. Way too much time on this story. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about our final thoughts on beer. What do we think about Dugas Brewing Company's Tropical Punch Ale? A beer, I'm going to say, fits well with this book as far as the Caribbean location.
0: Yeah, it's tropical. It's... Got a little zing to it. It's fruity. It's refreshing. It's good. It's really nice. Like this issue. It's pretty good. I would drink this on a beach in a heartbeat. I would too. I would drink this uh, anywhere, really. Yeah, it's just pleasant. I think it's a beer that you wouldn't be able to drink lots of. There are beers that are like this where you're like, I really want to drink that. But I can't have more than two because it will just burn my guts out.
1: Yeah. No, no, there,
0: there's definitely acidity,
1: acidity yeah, in here. Yeah, it's
0: very acidic. I'm kind of feeling that back of the tongue, throat kind of burn where and, I'm like, this could hurt me if I drank as much of this as I really want. It's a but, great flavorful sipping beer. But I think, I think, the,
1: I think the 11.2 fluid ounces is just right for this beer. It's less than you normally get from the pint, but it's just right. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is, I, for me, this has got to be in the four range. Yeah, I, it's I, definitely I, the four I, I want to give it. I'm gonna give it a four or five. I think I'm agreeing with you on that four yeah. or five. Once again, I recognize that for a lot of people, fruity beer is just not their thing. But if you're willing to try and give a chance to something like this, and if you don't mind some real sweet kind of fruit punch type flavors, mm-hmm. this is quite tasty and quite enjoyable. It is.
0: It's good. I'm I've been liking it throughout. <laughs> again fairly acidic can burn your guts out don't drink lots of it drink responsibly yeah drink responsibly always drink always drink responsibly watch your elbows you know <laughs> uh, but yeah <laughs> but no it's just it's one that you you're not you're not gonna pound this one for refreshment it is definitely something if you are thirsty drink up water beforehand just so that way you can just enjoy it because it is a mouthful of flavors it is very tangy zesty fruit forward and it is Something that you're going to want to let just... You're going to want to savor that on your tongue for a while. Because it makes it makes your mouth taste nice. And you know what else is nice? What? Ah, oh, that would be kids' perspective. And that is where Rick talks to his daughter Carrie about the issue that we just covered. So, it's
1: summertime fun, Carrie. Tell us a tale. Hi, Carrie.
2: Hi, Daddy.
1: How are you today? Good, and you? I'm doing fine. You know where I'd rather be right now?
2: Anywhere. In the timeline except 2020.
1: Well, no. I was going to say, I want to be on a nice beach in the Caribbean.
2: Yeah, but also the fir- my first guess was the best, too.
1: Okay, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I guess that's where you'd like to be then and outside this timeline, right?
2: Yeah, but being at a beach is nice, but to be at a beach with a lot of people would take 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd have to not be in 2020. I get it. I get it. Or 2021 now. Yeah. We're here to talk about a book, right?
2: Yeah, and I don't know if it's the best book.
1: (laughs) So, you didn't like it, huh?
2: No, it's because sometimes they were just like, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm like, what's beautiful?
1: Yeah, they were talking about underneath the water, there were some things that were really beautiful, but when we saw the drawings, it wasn't that beautiful.
2: It's like, it's some kind of paradise. All there is is rocks and...
1: Yeah, there, there wasn't really anything. We, we weren't seeing a beautiful place in the drawings, right?
2: No, not like different shade of nice and tropical kind of ocean.
1: It was kind of bland, right?
2: Yeah, and there wasn't even like very many living things there, like no coral, no anemone.
1: Or no fish? No fish. What else about the book? Did you, there's other parts of books that you liked or didn't like?
2: Another thing that they thought was beautiful was those creatures. I'm like, they aren't that beautiful?
1: You didn't like the creature from the lagoon's children?
2: No. Well, I do like... It's not that I don't like them. It's just that
1: they're not pretty looking.
2: Well, if you were like, oh, they're beautiful, it wouldn't be right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What else? Is there anything else that really struck you about this story?
2: I have a question. What was those creatures of those lagoon creatures called again?
1: I don't think they had a name for their race. The monster from the Lost Lagoon, he's known as Malfus. But he's not really given a actual title. I guess that they are... He's formerly from the planet of Quan, Q-U-O-N. Okay. <laughs> you weren't that impressed with him, though?
2: Well, not really.
1: Was there anything that you liked in this book? I actually don't know. Did you like any of the artwork in it? Those colorful globes were kind of pretty. So the eggs that the children were in were kind of pretty? Yeah. What about the story itself? Did you like it or not like it? Was it boring? Was it kind of interesting? Kind of interesting? That's it? Just kind of interesting?
2: Yeah. Also, why did the people think it was a shark? I mean, it's green.
1: <laughs> well, because people are easily scared and they are can easily believe whatever they're told to believe, I guess.
2: Da-dun, 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 da-dun.
1: Have I shown you the movie Jaws yet? No. Okay.
2: I just got that.
1: Okay. I'm still a good parent for that then, I guess. Yeah. Okay. This is the last Michael Higgins story. Are you are you sad about that? Not really. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen in the next issue?
2: You told me that we are going to get Louis Simonson and Jim Bergman back.
1: Yeah, but what do you think they're going to be doing in the next issue? Where do you think they're going to be going?
2: They're in space again.
1: What do you think? What do you want to happen?
2: Meet up with the chameleons again?
1: Possibly, possibly, you're gonna have to wait and see. Cause next issue, we're gonna talk about the Power Pack Holiday Special.
2: Ooh, and we'll have finally have Jim Brickman and Louis Simon's
1: back. All right, I think that's enough for now. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you.
2: Me too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the ocean, the sand, the sandcastles, the horse bodies. Uh, the sea monsters, the wrecked shipwrecks, all the boats, all the things, Carrie, all the things. Thank you for joining us. Are you done? I don't know. I, I'm guessing what she's talking about. Shout
1: out time! We'd like to recognize those listeners who take the time to write in and leave us a review so we can stop Jeff talking. This is for episode 79, where we talked about whew, issue 61 Ghost of a Chance. Sedano and Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Chris at BTO Batbooks. Chuck Gears. Clinton Robinson and his shows Coffee and
0: Comics and Fan Film Fridays. Damien Droot Whittier. Ed 209. Gary Fractal Key. Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan.
1: H-O-C-O-F. Hoover Jeremiah and the 4 million years later Transformers podcast. Jeff Pollier. Jeremy Daw, our newest Patreon supporter who left a great message on our website about this issue. He had never thought about the FF connection, but it makes sense now. Doesn't it, though? Doesn't it? Jeremy Floyd. Julie Powerfan. Limax 7 Matthew Birdsey.
0: Max Reads Comics. New Warriors Talk. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond
1: podcast. Tim Price, the Podcrasher, and his show The Outcasters. The Worst Comic Podcast Ever with Colin Stapleton. And we need to continue to thank our Patreon supporters using a method that I am growing to question why I did this. But here we are. So, continuing our tradition. Astonishingly, awkwardly, awesome, and amazing alternate Andrew Burns. Cheerfully cheeky and chartably charming, Checkered Char Logan. Champingly chatty, challenging, cheesy, and chuckling, Charles Gears. Doubly daringly destructive and devastatingly delightful, Damien Witter. Dynamically dangerous,
0: devious, and deceptively dainty, Doug Jones. Elongated, effervescent, exciting, energetic, and entertaining, Edward Verroche.
1: Justing, joking, jovial, and judiciously jumping, Jeff Bollier. Just Jeremy Daw. Musically magical, muscally mighty, and mundane Matthew Birdsey. Mythical
0: musing, mystical, and magnificent monologuing Matthew Lazarwitz. Rudely rhyming,
1: ridiculously rustic, and running and Fritcher.
0: Superiorly steely, salty, and stunningly smiling Sailor Bear Zodar.
1: Shadowy, shy, sad, and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews. Stupendously, satorily
0: strange, and standing steady, Stephen Gray. Tyrannically terrifying and
1: trippingly typical, tame, Tim Price.
0: Tough, technically terrific, and talently triumphant, Todd Enoch.
1: Whimsical, wondrously weird, and wonderfully wacky wind. And be sure to check out our other shows that we're on. You can sometimes find our Junior Agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And... My magnificent monthly Monday movie, Muckabout, on the Longbox Crusade and its own podcast network.
0: And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack.
1: Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recording in front of a live studio audience consisting of two different beverages that I have on my windowsill next to me right now in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through at Twitter at Jeff and Rick present our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick present our email address, Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com or at our website, Jeff and Rick present Also our YouTube channel is Jeff and Rick present.
0: And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com. Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to
1: heroinitiative.org
0: to find out more.
1: Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us and share your love for us on social media.
0: And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you.
1: Until next time. Costumes, Costumes off. off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Fife and Drum. All music is by Kevin MacLeod on Decompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for Corner License. Ready, crew, go! Oh, that's all to fly. Fashum. Okay, first of all, bravo for us for getting that in one take. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: no doubt. <clears throat> shoom. What's happening?
0: Good times is what's happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Alex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm not that clever, but sometimes I make myself
1: laugh. (laughs) Speaking of science, James Power is practicing science against one of the globes in a science lab filled with supermodel science lab assistants in mini science skirts, high science heels, and sexy science safety spectacles.
0: Not sure how well that's going to play. Do another take on that. And how much do you hear my daughter screaming in the background? Tons. Mythical musing, mystical and magnificent, monologuing Matthew Bur-